As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Momsley Radio Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security. Del Wamsley here. The first thing you're going to have to learn is that until you stop expecting our politicians or anyone else to change your life, your life isn't going to change. The only person who can change your life is you, but you need to know how. Listen to my show, the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. Right here on KCAA, now broadcasting on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, the stations that leave no listener behind. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen online at www.kcaaradio.com. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Brother Mike Calhoun.
Gospel of Mark chapter 9 beginning in verse 14. Look what the scriptures say. But when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some of the scribes arguing with them. 
And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one, of the crowd, one in the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit, which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when they saw him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into convulsions and falling to the ground, and he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, How long has he been this this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And when he came into the house, the disciples began questioning him privately, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts. Lord, just in the reading of your word, it is so powerful. Father, we pray this morning that you will minister to our hearts and our spirits, dear Lord. And Father, we pray by the guidance of your Holy Spirit, dear Lord, you will impress upon us, Lord, ministry on the mountain and ministry in the valley. Lord, life on the mountain and life in the valley. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. A few years ago, it's been more than a few years ago now, I was attending a evangelism conference in Oklahoma City in Dell City and there's a church up there called First Southern Dell and it has been a center for evangelism conference. I still think they have the evangelism conference there. Uh, and last year I spoke with a man named Bob Mayfield and he was sharing about the, we were talking about churches in Oklahoma and how things were going at different churches and, and I mentioned First Southern and, and you know they had thousands there. I mean they were thousands of people that worked and ministered there and it was a, a, a hub for Oklahoma Baptists. And he had told me that they, now on a Sunday morning, where they used to have three or 4,000, where now they had maybe four or 500. I said, really? And I got, you know, I had that sad preacher look on my face. And I said, hey, but listen, they're still active, and they still do things. And he was telling me some of the things they did, and, and five or six different satellite churches, not of them, but, you know, mission churches they'd started, a Hispanic church and a different Asian churches. And so they were still, at those numbers, able to have an impact in that Oklahoma City area, that southern Oklahoma City area. And it just impressed upon me, and I thought it was a great illustration for us to begin this morning in how, how we minister in the valley and how we minister on the mountaintop. What's it, like when, what's it like when we live life on the mountain, and what's it like when we live life in the valleys? Because they can't all be mountaintops. They can't all be good. In Sunday school, we were talking this morning about how even the myth of uh, the perfect church or the myth of the perfect family. 
Yeah, the valley, the mountain. And, you know, you can't always be on the mountain, whether it's in your marriage or in church, but there is, there's always going to be that tension between the two. And in our text, this is what's happened. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 13, were the transfiguration. And just a couple of weeks ago, we described how that uh, the three disciples went with Jesus to the mountaintop, and this is probably one of the most theologically significant events that happens in the New Testament, the transfiguration of Christ. They get a glimpse of what Jesus looks like in, in glory. Next to him being born in the flesh, next to him becoming flesh, God becoming flesh, this is very significant for us. For the disciples, they got the curtain pulled back, and they got to see what heaven was going to look like here on earth, Jesus in that glorified body. And then immediately, verse 14, and when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd, and to review just very quickly, the man with a demon-possessed a son had come to the disciples, the ones that had remained, and this, this, and the, this young man's son, possessed by a demon, and the, the man said of the, their work, and they could not do it. They could not do it. And might I submit to you this morning that that is the witness of a lot of New Testament churches today. What is it that we are supposed to be doing for this community? What is it that we are supposed to be doing for the lost or for the hurt or for the broken? And how many times can we fill in at the end of that sentence, and, but they could not do it? Now, I know it's never, a perfect, it's never a perfect wash because sometimes when we're losing over here, we're winning over there. Amen? And sometimes when we're winning over there, we're losing over here. It, it's never a perfect, but, but I know that this is a struggle for New Testament churches because I've been in New Testament Baptist churches for some 30 years now. And it's a challenge for us. And brothers and sisters, it's a challenge for Pruitt Baptist Church. And we have to learn to minister, whether it's on the mountaintop, and he is so real that we could reach out and touch him, or we've got to be able to minister when we're in the valley. And guess what? That's the ministry of your family, too. You have to learn as a family, as a husband and wife, how to make it work when it's, it's, it's as good as it gets. And you've got to continue to make it work when it's as bad as it gets. Somebody say amen. Now, listen, I'm not the only one. I know my marriage. I mean, we, we have some valley moments, don't we, honey? And she's kept me anyway. You've got to learn to do both, whether it's in the midst of the spectacular, the, prayer, the, the pure, the incredible closeness that we experience with God, or maybe many more of us this morning who are struggling, and he seems far and distant. Probably uh, two, other, two other examples of this was when Elijah went to battle the prophets of Baal. And you know that story. Everybody talks about how Elijah went to the mountain and he confronted the prophets of Baal and he, they couldn't make fire fall from heaven. But what does he do? He calls fire down from heaven and it comes down, it consumes the altar and then the false prophets are slain. I mean, it's a great victory. And what happens in the next chapter? She threatens his life. Jezebel threatens his life. He runs for his life. He goes to the mountain of God. He gets a word from God. He's depressed. He's down. He's worn out. And I just remember reading that. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I can remember as an adult reading that, how in one minute, Elijah is on the mountaintop having great, incredible victory. And then in the very next chapter, I'm, I remember reading it first time. So Elijah, don't, no, no, go back, go back. And then I've experienced that in my own life. Haven't you? We see that there. And let me give one more example of that. Is when, Moses is peop- when Moses goes to receive the Ten Commandments, and what does he come back? He comes back and they're having a prayer meeting. No. They've built a calf, and they're worshiping at a golden calf. That's the contrast of ministry in the New Testament church, and it's often the contrast in our lives. One of the things we have to do is we have to learn to recognize the conflict. Verse 17, and one of the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son. I brought you my son, possessed with the spirit, which makes him mute. And then he describes the condition of the boy, and he says in verse 19, Jesus responds to him, And he said to him, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. One of the things that we have to be able to do, we have to be able to contrast the mountain with the valley, but we also have to be able to recognize the conflict. And I believe this is another very important point that many New Testament churches um, are missing, that we miss oftentimes as believers, as Christians. We don't recognize the conflict. And this concept right here of a spiritual battle going on is all through the Old and the New Testament. And it is going in the last 2,000 years that that spiritual battle that's been raging is reflected not only in Scripture, but what we have been experiencing as a church. And a lot of us think that it's whether that we're succeeding or losing in America because of whether the Republicans or the Democrats have office. I'm telling you, that hasn't had anything to do with it. We are in the midst of a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle that we are either winning or we're losing. And we have to be able to recognize the conflict. If you go back to the book of Acts, if you're reading the book of Acts, when Paul, this is one of the first instances, it said this woman, after following Paul, kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued to do this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and he turned and he said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that moment. Or Acts 19, whenever the seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this, trying to cast out evil demons. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in, the, in whom this was the evil spirit leapt upon them, subdued all them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all, both the Jews and the Greeks. This is a little subgenre of study in uh, Jewish studies, but the Jewish people dealt with that in the synagogue. Did you notice how many times in the gospel it says that Jesus went into a synagogue and there was an evil spirit there? He, he was in the synagogue. He was already there when Jesus went there to minister. 
And you think the reason we can't worship sometimes on Sunday morning is because it's what you, you had eggs and, and green eggs and ham last night for dinner? Now, there's something else going on in the congregation, and, and a lot of times it's spiritual. Now, I'm not saying, I'm going to explain this in a little bit more detail in a minute, but not every time, but sometimes it is a spiritual problem we're having. And my great challenge as a pastor and as a Christian individually is to make sure I'm not part of the problem. Make sure that I'm confessed up, prayed up, and I've, I've laid out before the Lord, and I've said, Lord, please help me, and admitted my faults to the Lord, and hopefully maybe some other Christian that they might pray for me. Because if not, I end up becoming part of the problem. Well, look what happens. Let me explain this just a little bit further. I think there's three different ways for us to look at this. And this isn't actually mine. This is a, rev, this is a reflection of what... This is actually a reflection of something that uh, a, a teacher, a mentor of mine from Dallas Baptist University talked about. But if you want to think about this, Brother Mike, tell us how to think about this. How does the scripture teach us to think about this? The first group we would think about are third world groups. Maybe I've mentioned this to you before, but I want to mention it to you again this morning. That's those third world countries where everything's spiritual. There's a tree god, a, uh, there's a tree god, a frog god, a water god. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of these demons and gods, and they try to appease them. They live in terror. And they see a demon behind absolute everything. That's a false way. That's not a good way to live. But they, it's nothing for them to see demon possession in the Amazon jungle or in Mongolia or in different parts of, of the world in third world countries. But everything, they, they over-spiritualize, hyper-spiritualize everything. And we would say in Western society, that's wrong. But let me tell you something, the opposite of that is wrong too. Because if you go to Wall Street or to Los Angeles or San Francisco and you talk about demonic possession or spirits moving in the world that we live in, they would use a first world view. And they would say there is a logical explanation for this. There's a logical explanation for this. And so for them, it is a psychological problem, or there's some type of physical, something physical. And both groups are wrong. And Dr. Garrett from DBU was encouraging us, uh, was encouraging us that as missionaries, and I think that's what we are here at Pruitt Baptist Church, we're missionaries to this community. You have to be second world minded. And you have to recognize that sometimes the reason that this family's little boy keeps getting a cold is not because of a tree god, it's because he's not wearing his coat when he goes outside. Somebody say amen. Hey, we get that. But there are other instances, and we at least have to be open to the idea that because, brother, that Sister Smith and Sister Jones, who are fighting, and they're fighting all, and they're about to tear the church apart with their fight, is because, it's, not, it's not because of something we can explain away, but it might be something spiritual. And that some of the other problems that we're having in a community are spiritual. And, you know, okay, i got to be careful, so careful. The, the, you know, some of the problems we're having in our families and in our marriages are not about the job you have or how much money you make or the position you're holding. It's because it's a spiritual problem that you're struggling with. We have to be Christians who have a second world view. And Paul would tell us, I think, in Ephesians 6, and this is a very famous passage of Scripture. You know this passage, 10 and 12. Finally, brethren, be strong in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And brothers, sisters, let me tell you something. That, that our problems and our struggles when we're angry with someone or we're struggling with someone is not between us and an individual. It is a spiritual problem. And if you'll go to that person and you'll pray with that person, get under the blood of Jesus, there is not anything you can't get fixed. God will fix that relationship. Somebody say amen. 
demonic manifestation. We have to contrast the mountain with the valley ministry, but we also have to, to, we have to recognize the conflict, and then we have to be prepared for the crisis. Verse 18, whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams in the mouth, and he grinds his teeth, he stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. This is not if in your ministry or when in your marriage. This is a certainty. You are going to have a time of failure. And this sounds so cliche, but I want to tell you something. That God has taught me more when I have failed than when I've succeeded. When I am succeeding, his voice gets more and more distant. When everything is going good, I can see him less and less and less. When everything is peaches and roses, I'm less concerned and less concerned. I become more apathetic. But when the crisis or the failure begins to pile on, and I'm struggling, and it looks like everything is coming apart at the seams, guess what? God gets a lot more real. Somebody say amen. So what are we supposed to do, Brother Mike? Because the scriptures say they could not do it. And isn't this the promise? Isn't this the great expectation, the hope? Isn't this even the prophecy that the Lord said that we would do this and many other things? Yes, in John chapter 14, in verse 12, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. I love that verse, because who had an exciting, who, who else had an exciting ministry greater than Jesus? Nobody. Jesus had an incredible ministry, and he has said in Scripture, he has said in Scripture, as we follow him, we will do greater things. We'll see greater things manifest and happen. And so I do believe that element of the, of the scripture and the element of ministry and the promise of, of a successful ministry in our lives. And I'm throwing the two concepts, church and family, together here, but I think they're very closely related. I do think there's a promise, but we have to be ready for the crisis of the valley. Are you prepared to fail? Now, gee, this does not sound like a very encouraging message, Brother Mike, but it is. Because and it's encouraging to you because there is a certainty of failure. There are going to be times when you fail. And you just fill in the blank. It could be all different kinds of things. But it doesn't make God any less the God of the mountain who is the God of the valley. Amen? And you are going to be trapped. You are going to be trapped in some situations sometimes where you're just going to have to walk through that valley. You're just going to have to walk through it. I can't stay here very long, but I'll tell you that in the passing of my mother was one of my first incredible crisis moments. Because I had seen God in my, early in my ministry as a Baptist preacher. I had been apart and prayed with a lady, and I saw a lady healed one time. It happened early in my ministry where we laid hands on a lady and we prayed for her, and then the, a, a tumor disappeared, and Brenda and I, we've never forgotten that. That was a miracle, and there's no other way to describe that. The doctors who had found this thing in this woman, uh, uh, Mrs. Cooper, Wanda Cooper, could not find it just... Two days later, when they were preparing to do the surgery, because they wanted one more set of uh, uh, x-rays right before they worked on her, and she called me from a hospital in Dallas and said, they cannot find it. They're doing their third x-ray. It is gone, Brother Mike. I am healed. That woman's still alive today in Hendricks, Oklahoma. And then to have my mom get cancer and get sick and know that God could do it, that's called crisis. But it didn't mean that he was any less God. It was just my mama's time to go home. He is, he is the God who is in contrast on the, in the mountain and in the valley. There is a real conflict, conflict that's in play, but we have to be prepared for the crisis. Now, there's some important context. Look what he says in verse 19. He said to them, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? 
How long shall I put up with you? Bring him, bring him to me. This is actually a reflection of the psalm, the 95th psalm. In, the, in that psalm, Jesus is echoing something that came from the past there. Today, if you will hear his voice, this is Psalms 95 and 8. Today, if you will hear his voice and harden not your heart, as in the pro- days of provocation, and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my work, Forty years long I was grieved with this generation and said it is a people that do err in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Now there's more to that psalm obviously but it's an important psalm because what it's talking about is God's long-suffering patience and Jesus is echoing that. Oh how long, it sounds like he's kind of frustrated does it with him, with the man. But he's saying oh how long, he is doing what the father had done in the wilderness. The problem in Jesus' day was the same problem they were having in the days of the wilderness in the Old Testament. And it was people's hearts. It wasn't their circumstances so much. It was their hearts. Because God can do whatever God wants to do. It's never his problem. It's always our problem. It's always our heart. It's a heart problem. Oh, you unbelieving generation. This is an important context. And we see, just to give two examples, we see Jesus become frustrated in, in two different instances. You remember with the Pharisees. He became frustrated with the Pharisees. He very quickly, when they would oppose him, and I think they were convicted that he indeed was the Messiah, he became frustrated with them. You remember at the raising of Lazarus that he groaned in his spirit? If you research that out, it's one of my favorite sermon points in a sermon, but you remember when it says, and he groaned within himself, it actually is a snort. He's going, he's exasperated with him because he said, no, your brother's getting up. I know, brother, but if you'd been here, no, your brother's getting up. No, if you'd have come three days earlier. No, your brother's getting up. Yeah, I know he'll come up in the resurrection. Mary, Martha, your brother's getting up. Because the resurrection just walked up. Somebody say amen. It's always the heart. It's always our unbelieving hearts. And this is the problem that's here. We have to put it in context. And we have to take other considerations here. Look what he says in verse 21. Brother Mike, why does he ask these questions? And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Now, does that sound familiar? Yes, because he said in John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to kill, steal, and destroy. But I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. But Jesus is letting this be said. He asked a question so these can be revealed for us some 2,000 years later. It has thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. Jesus knew what he was about to do. But what he does there, he puts it in a time. He puts it in a time consideration. He lets the audience and he lets us know how long it's from from his whole life. He talks about the purpose of this demonic force. It was to destroy him. He let that man know there in that setting. He's letting us know today that that's Satan's purpose for us. And then he provides him with an opportunity to ask for help. But if you can do anything, see, if Jesus hadn't asked that question, he wouldn't have been able to ask him again there. He wouldn't have been able to say, I do believe. Help my unbelief. You know, this happened to Brenda and I before we ever became Christians. Beth was about a week old, and her mom was holding the baby. And, and man, we were nervous, new parents, whatever, and Brenda's mom caught this. She said, Brenda, I think this baby is, is groaning, is groaning. And, well, you know me, I, I don't know nothing. I mean, I'm barely 20 years old. So, oh, no, she's fine. She's fine. Said, no, Michael, she's grown. Well, she had an infection. And I didn't know that babies could get an infection. It won't localize sometimes. They just have a fever, but it's dangerous. 
I'm telling you what, I'm as lost as a goose. But it was so funny. We were in the hospital, and I'd never, pray, never prayed. We had never prayed together. And I grabbed Brenda's hand, and we laid down over that baby, and I said, God, this is Mike Calhoun. This is Mike and Brenda Calhoun, and my baby is sick. Would you please heal this baby? And you know what? That baby got better. She's 33 years old today. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know all what was going on, but I'm telling you something. God heard my prayer, and he answered my prayer that day. And he heard my prayer when I called him to be my, ask him to be my Savior, too. He provided an opportunity for him to call out. And he provided, he provided provision for him. Look what it says in verses 25 and following. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand. It was Jesus, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but Jesus took him by the hand. Jesus raised him up. Jesus had rebuked the spirit. Jesus had asked these questions about what is exactly that is going on here. And brothers and sisters, we have to be very careful, even as Christians. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Even at Pruitt Baptist Church, we have to be very careful where we're laying the accolades and where we're laying the praise. The praise goes at the feet of the Savior. Boy, somebody say amen. It's at the feet of the Savior, at the feet of Jesus. That who is who deserves to be praised. Jesus makes the provision for us to live on the mountain, and he also makes provision for us to live in the valley. And he gave them the right answer, too. When they asked him, they came to the house, and the disciples began questioning him privately why could we not drive it out? Now, this could have been a message this morning on prayer. Why, how we pray, where we pray, when we pray, how we should organize prayer. But that's not, I want you to see the effects of what happens when we don't pray. When we don't pray and we're not following God's construct, we're not following the Savior's way that he wants. You know, I believe in my heart that the, the Savior wants Van Texas one for him. I believe that he wants revival. Here, I mean, I don't. I think it's. I just think I know God's heart on this. He wants this, our community saved, and he don't want to. He doesn't want to just work through Pruitt Baptist Church. He wants to work through First Baptist, and he wants to work through the other churches here and our community. He wants to work, but he also wants us to do it his way, and in a way where he gets the glory. The disciples could not do it. That's 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 what I can say. When 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 it works, it's God is working, and when it doesn't work, it usually means I got in the way. 
And that's the attitude we've got to have about ministry and about our families and about reaching out to this community. When it all is working and when we're on the mountaintops, who's done it? God has done it. Jesus has done it. And when it doesn't work, well, we need to go to the master and say, hey, why could we not do it? And he'll tell us why. Now, what's not working in your life right now? And when was the last time you really asked the Lord, help me? In fact, you said, help me in the midst of my unbelief. Baptist used to be an altar call denomination. We would come to the altar, I mean to pray. But we've become so self-conscious, we won't stand when they sing a special. <laughs> we won't hardly stand to sing a special. And God forbid somebody raise their hand. Somebody going to shoot them from that, the balcony, you know. You raise your hand, no, I'm just teasing. Nobody gonna, I shouldn't even say that. But, you know, we try to intimidate each other, don't we? You've got to worship the way I worship. You've got to think like I think. You've got to pray like I pray. And what happens is we begin, to shut the, we begin to shut the spirit down. And I want our church to be a church where you feel the freedom, the complete freedom to come to the altar. You don't have to take me by the hand, but come and bow your knee and say, Lord, I, would you please save my husband? Lord, would you please help my family? We're struggling in an area, Lord. Would you please help my family? I think the altar is a place where we come up and say, Lord, I don't know what it is you burdened my heart with, but would you please speak to me clearly so I know what it is you want me to do? And uh, you're no more or no less when you come to the altar to pray. But what did the disciples do? When he came to the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Yes, question Jesus privately, but don't be afraid to come to the altar and ask him publicly, Lord, would you please help me and my family? Would you please help my church? Would you help my Sunday school class? I need you. I'm struggling in the area of my belief. I would love to tell you, I know when you when you, I visit with you, you think, that guy must live on the mountaintop. I do not. My, I live in the valley about 80% of the, 90% of the time. And occasionally the Lord takes me to the mountaintop. And he pulls back the veil and I get to see what it's going to be like on the other side. A lot of what you see is me trying to just be positive. I know I sound like a car salesman sometimes. And it's hard not to be like that. And um, I struggle. I want to stop and look you eyeball to eyeball. I don't want to be so distracted in this world, even with ministry, that I can't listen to you and what it is you're talking about so I can minister to you as a pastor. But I, I'm just like everybody else. Sometimes I'm in the valley. The very first thing you need to do this morning is you need to make sure you're a Christian. Mrs. Walker, who was baptized this morning, she went back and forth and back and forth. She wasn't sure, but she finally settled that issue in her heart. And she prayed and asked Christ to come to the heart. She just couldn't go on another. She said, I can't go on another day. I've got to know so that I know I'm a Christian. You need to take care of that issue. But the second issue that we're talking about here this morning is how to live a successful Christian life. And the way you do that, the one of the ways you do that, is you make sure that you understand that God is still God on the mountaintop. And he is still God when everything is falling apart in your life. And he's waiting for you this morning at the altar to let him know what he can do for you. Let me pray for you. Father God in heaven, thank you so much for the incredible, powerful ways in which you teach us in our lives, dear Lord. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll work this morning in the invitation time, dear Lord, and you'll speak to our hearts, Father. And whatever it is that that heart is needing, dear Lord, that you will pour yourself out into that heart, dear Lord. Lord, do they need to be saved? Convict them this morning, dear Lord. Let them know they need, a new, they need a relationship with you. 
And Father, for those Christians, and I put myself in this group too today, dear Lord, those Christians, dear Lord, who are struggling in their faith, dear Lord, struggling in their belief, struggling in their success, maybe of a marriage or raising a child or whatever it is, dear Lord, refresh and renew them, dear Lord, even in the valley, even though there may be hard and dark days ahead, help them, dear Lord, to grow stronger in who you are and what they believe about you. For it's in Jesus, Jesus' precious name we pray and all God's people said, would y'all stand as we sing here an invitation this morning. You are listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. If you have a Bible with you today, let me go ahead and invite you to turn in your Bible to the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. The fourth chapter of the book of Acts. Our question this morning is this. What makes a dynamic church? What makes a dynamic church? Is it location, location, location? Is it a great preacher? Is it a traditional music program or a contemporary music program or a blended music program? Is it great Sunday school? Great Sunday school leaders and teachers and programs? Is it generous stewardship? What makes a dynamic church? Is it beautiful modern facilities? Or is it just sweet fellowship among the people? What really makes a dynamic church? Well, let me just say that a great location can help, but it's not necessary. The preacher's fame or education is not the answer. I can tell you that for sure. The music program of the churches are as varied as the names and places. I always find it interesting Observing the names of different churches, I still love the little church out by Canton, Little Hope Baptist Church. And there are as many new beginning Baptist churches in the world as there are first Baptist churches, I think. Starting over, in other words, a new beginning. Is it the music program? Is that what really does it? Think about it. Some churches have a pipe organs and we get to go every once in a while over to Green Acres for their 4th of July presentation. They'll have a 100 voice choir or 100 plus voice choir over there. And it's, and it's gorgeous and it's wonderful. But what about it? Is, it? is that what's required? What about the little church out in the country that has an upright piano and a volunteer song leader? What about the bluegrass gospel music? I, I love it. I, I love bluegrass gospel, but that doesn't mean that I don't love all the other music too. I love the old hymns because the old hymns are important to us. They teach us about the Word of God. They teach us about doctrine. It might be a church with a four-piece string band. I've attended some of those. Or maybe a 40-piece orchestra, and I've been to some of those. Or there could be a hundred other variations as far as music is concerned. And listen, is that what makes a dynamic church? I'm going to say no, it's not. Great Sunday school, generous stewardship, great facilities, all of those things can help. They can assist. Sweet fellowship, of course, is important. It's valuable. But that's not what makes a dynamic church. In fact, this church, I'm going to give you a history lesson. This church was organized under a tree in 1896. Under a tree, okay? Later, there was a brush arbor and an outhouse. Amen to the outhouse. The only instruments were the guitar or fiddle that were brought from home once in a while. 
They only had a halftime preacher. That meant he was here every other Sunday. But the Methodist church had a preacher on the opposite Sunday, so everybody went to church together. You're either at the Baptist church or at the Methodist church Sunday after Sunday. And that preacher was paid in homegrown vegetables and an occasional chicken. I hope we don't go back to that because not many of you have chickens or homegrown vegetables, right? The congregation stood or sat on hard homemade benches or maybe a stump or maybe a blanket that you brought from home. Unlike it is here, it was hot in the summer and cold in the winter. Some of y'all complain about it being cold in the summer. Here, they were baptized in the pond right across the road most of the time. But it was, folks, and remains a dynamic church. Now, I know that there's maybe not a lot of people that stop to think about Pruitt Baptist Church being a dynamic church, but I want you to know it's a dynamic church. This is a dynamic church that you are a part of. And we're going to talk about what characterizes a dynamic church. And in doing so, we need to also realize that we need to protect and guard those characteristics. We need to do all, do all that we can to be sure that it continues on. I know that there's a lot of people think that uh, the only dynamic churches are the mega churches, the, the Preston World, Prestonwood Church, either way, or the Green Acres Baptist Church or some of the other big churches. They're not the only dynamic churches. Listen, like I said, it can be a little bitty church out in the country and be a dynamic church. I want us to look at this passage of Scripture found in Acts chapter 4 and just a couple of verses, beginning in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but, uh, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now I want you to notice some things about this church. This was the first church of Jerusalem. On the day it was organized, notice what happened. That's found over in chapter 2, over in chapter 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized in the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now listen, that's the day it was organized. I want to tell you the first church in Jerusalem, first church of the Lord Jesus in Jerusalem was a dynamic church on the day it was organized. In verse 47 it says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, it was a dynamic church. And then Acts chapter 4 and verse 4, many of them which heard the word believed and the number of the men was about 5,000. There were like 15,000 who were saved and baptized in the initial days of this dynamic church, the first church, first Christian church of the city of Jerusalem. I believe all would agree that it was a dynamic church. But I want you to notice what we're going to discover makes for that church to be the way it is, to be a dynamic church. It's there in those verses that we read earlier. 
the first thing, the first characteristic of a dynamic church is unity. It's unity. We read in verse 32, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Folks, the value of unity in the body of Christ can never be overstressed. How important it is for us to be unified. We need to be of one heart. We need to be of one soul. We need to be of one mind. We need to have the same goals in mind for all of the people of the church. This church was born in unity. They all continued with one accord. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. Acts 2, 1 says they were all with one accord in one place. In Acts 4, 32, as we read, the multitude were of one heart and of one soul. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 12, 5, we being many are one body in Christ and every one members of one another. Listen, folks, I want you to know we're together in this. If you're not together with us, then Let's talk to you about being saved so that we can be together in this. We're not to be out there destroying one another. We're to be out there helping one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all seek the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind, and in the same judgment. He says we're to be together in this matter of serving the Lord. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are one body made up of many members. We are joined together for the purpose of fulfilling the Lord's great commission in our little corner of the world. God has given us an assignment. Our responsibility is to win every lost person to Jesus that lives around us. Not my words, the words of the Lord. I remember in some of the old time movies a long time ago, it showed slaves shackled to the oars down in the hull of a ship. At the voice of the taskmaster, they would all pull. Or they'd beat the drum and they'd all pull together. Now listen, it was critical that they all pulled together. They had to work together to keep the ship on course. One person not doing his responsibility. I think it's always interesting whenever we have a group come in to sing, you know, and they always want you to clap. I think it's always kind of funny that sometimes, sometimes when I clap, it's in between the time when everybody else claps. You ever notice that? You have to pull together. Otherwise, you get off course. And if you get off course, then you arrive at the wrong destination. Now, there's a neat lesson to be learned there because God has a destination for us. And I want you to know that He tells us that He's not coming back until everybody's had an opportunity to be saved. And so if we're not busy trying to help people understand their need to trust Christ, then we're not fulfilling our responsibility. We're not pulling at the right time. We're slaves to Christ, the Bible says. Pulling together in unity at His command is our responsibility in order for us to reach the desired destination. The first thing I want you to notice about this dynamic church was they were unified. The second thing I want you to notice is that they were unselfish. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. They were unselfish. Now, would you not agree with me that 
as human beings, we are naturally selfish and self-centered. And I know what some of you are saying, well, preacher, everybody else is, but I'm not. <laughs> right? I don't, don't. Yeah, y'all are, but I'm not. No one has to teach a child how to be possessive and selfish. It just comes naturally. One of the first words a child learns is the word mine. We've had the twins since Friday afternoon. It has been a joy, but just this morning I heard one of them say to the other, that's mine. In other words, get your hands off. Now, kids are that way naturally, and I want to tell you something. We grow up with that. Sometimes adults are no different. After all, if you work hard on a project at work, you don't want anybody else getting credit for that, do you? I deserve the credit for that. And sometimes it doesn't really make a difference. It doesn't really matter just so long as the job gets done. If you've bought something and paid for it, you don't want to have to share it with somebody else, do you? I bought some fishing lures to take with me on my trip. I bought them to share. But I brought extra so that I can share, you see. If you have something planned and a friend needs your help, what do you do? Make an excuse, don't we? We sometimes make an excuse. Whenever I visit folks, you know, and I ask them and I invite them to come to church, and they inevitably they'll say, I'll try. Do you know what the words I'll try mean? I won't. I won't. I won't be there. It's, it's a word, it's a phrase of non-commitment. You know what? We are naturally selfish. But the child of God whose heart is right with God has the testimony of unselfishness. Unselfishness. You remember that famous verse in the third chapter of the book of John? Anybody remember that verse? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, the selfish thing for God to do was to save His own Son. And nobody would have blamed Him if He had done that. Nobody would have blamed Him. But that would have been the selfish thing. Rather, He looked at us unselfishly and because He loved us, He chose to allow His Son to go to the cross knowing that that was the only way that any of us could ever have forgiveness for our sins and eternal life. God's unselfish character is revealed for us so that we might understand the principle of God's love. He showed us His love unselfishly. This church was a dynamic church because it was unified, because it was unselfish, and because it was unreserved. Unreserved. Verse 31 said, They spake the word of God with boldness. Verse 33 says, With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Folks, here's the answer to our question, the question from the beginning. A dynamic church is one that is made up of believers who are unreserved when it comes to sharing their faith in Christ. Listen, we have a dynamic church because we have people who are willing to share Jesus. Because we have people who are willing to demonstrate their faith in God by the way they live their lives. Folks, being unreserved means being unafraid. Why should we be afraid? And yet I know that sometimes it happens to us. Why should we be afraid 
to share the greatest news, the greatest thing that has ever happened in our lives, you know? I mean, if I'm walking down the street out here and I don't think it's yours and I find a $10 bill, I'm going to say hallelujah. I'm going to let everybody know that I found a $10 bill. You know that? Because I don't think it belongs to anybody close by, right? Why is it that we can stand up and shout and testify about our favorite football team, about our favorite quarterback? Why is it we don't have problem wearing our t-shirt that says Van Vandals on it, but we have a hard time telling people about our faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, everybody out there needs it, and we know they need it, so we've got to be willing to tell them we need a church that is unreserved. Our problem is that we don't like rejection. Well, preacher, what if I go to that person, they slam the door in my face? What if I Go to that person and they reject me. They get mad at me or they hurl some evil statement at me or they pick on me as a result of it. What if that happens? Well, there's a word in the Bible for you. Jesus said, these things I command you that you love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. That's what Jesus said. Because of your faith, listen, you're not ever going to fit in. Verse 2, you're not supposed to fit in to the lifestyle of the world. You've been saved out of the world. Folks, we're not chosen to be loved by the world, but to love the world unreservedly and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ without compromise. Somebody comes to you and asks you if you're a Christian, you're supposed to say, yes, and I'm proud that I am. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Listen, if you're acting strange to somebody, they're going to wonder what's wrong with you and maybe ask you, so act strange. Peter says we're a peculiar people. Peculiar. We're supposed to be different. Paul encourages us to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. He says to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Listen, we're to stand. We're to stand proudly, not arrogantly, but proudly, and we are to stand unreserved. The Bible tells us that when you're clothed in the armor of God and, in, and, and empowered by the Spirit of God, you can boldly stand against the enemy of God. But if you're wishy-washy, then the enemy might sometimes have his way with you. The great evangelist Charles G. Finney once said, Since revival can never lay hold upon the world until it has first laid hold upon the church, the need is for the fountains of the sin to be broken up in the church. Backslidden Christians must be brought to repentance. They must have their faith renewed. Before the world can be moved, we must renew the image of Jesus Christ in ourselves because it is vain even to call the church to love others when the church has ceased to love Jesus Christ. So what makes a dynamic church? 
I said we're a dynamic church. And we are. And I believe that. Because we are unified and because we are unselfish and because we are, this is the hard one, because we are unreserved when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now just go be that. Just go be that. We need to commit ourselves to be committed to the task of proclaiming the good news that Jesus saves. Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you, Father, that you have preserved for us this word of the Lord, that, Father, we might read and understand what it means for us to be the kind of church that you want us to be. Dear Father, I pray that if there's, if there's a problem with unity within the church, that, God, you might reveal it to us as individuals and help us to make our commitments to you and make our commitments to one another that we'll be unified. And dear Father, I pray that you'll, that you'll speak to our hearts today and help us to remember that it's natural for us to be selfish, but you want us to be unnatural. You want us to be a supernatural by being unselfish uh, because of the Spirit of God. And Father, I pray for courage. Dear Father, I pray that you'll help us to have the courage to take our stand, to represent Jesus and show to the world that Jesus transforms our lives. Help us to reveal it by the way we live, but Father, help us also to be faithful to speak the word of the Lord so that others might be saved. Now, Father, speak to our hearts right now. I pray you'll save those who have not been saved, who have never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus in faith. And I pray, Father, that you'll call us to recommitment, to rededication, Help us to be reclaimed, as Finney has said. Help us to be renewed and refreshed and recommitted unto the task to which you've assigned us. Now, Father, speak to our hearts right now and give us the courage and the faith to believe and to take our stand with Jesus. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen online at www.kcaaradio.com. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. For victims of identity theft, there's a danger many are not aware of. Tax fraud. Someone can use your data to steal your tax refund. The first electronic return that gets into the IRS is the one that gets accepted, meaning that if an identity thief files and then you try to file, your electronically filed tax return gets booted out. Then, not everything that's posted on social media is true. 
Yet research shows people tend to trust whatever their online friends tell them. We need to come up with interventions on social media, on platforms like Facebook, where we can encourage people to be more vigilant, to scrutinize the information more. Those two stories and more are coming your way on this week's show. Stay with us. InfoTrack begins right after this. When it comes to tough jobs, you need workwear that's as dependable as you are and works as hard as you do. That's why Carhartt makes clothing that's durable and comfortable. And right now at Boot Barn, you can get select Carhartt jeans for just $34.99, such as the Holter jean. Boot Barn is the place to go for boots and all things Carhartt. Whether you work in construction, oil and gas, or on the ranch, Boot Barn has the right gear for any job. Blue Star medicated ointment works fast to relieve the pain and itch of almost any skin irritation. It's amazing. It's like as soon as you put it on, you can feel it working. We've had Blue Star in the family for years. It works on everything. I love the cooling sensation on my athlete's foot. What a relief for my eczema. Nothing worked on my dry, cracked skin until I tried Blue Star. Blue Star is great for scalp itch. Look for the white box with the Blue Star in the first aid section. Feel Blue Star work fast or your money back. Honey! A little help here? In our house, we go through a lot of toilet paper. Honey! So we made the switch to new Charmin Super Mega Roll, their longest lasting roll. Charmin Super Mega Roll is six regular rolls in one. And now, we can enjoy more goes and less woes. <sighs> Try the long lasting new Charmin Super Mega Roll today and enjoy the go. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. If you're a victim of identity theft, you may also become a victim of tax fraud. Using your stolen data, a thief can grab your tax refund. InfoTrack's Roy Mackey has the story. Roy? Thanks, Chris. We're joined by tax and financial expert Abby Eisencraft. She's the CEO of Choice Tax Solutions and the author of 101 Ways to Stay Off the IRS Radar. Abby, as most of our listeners are no doubt aware, the credit agency Equifax lost the credit data of more than 140 million Americans, social security numbers and dates of birth and more, to hackers, which puts all of these consumers at risk of identity theft and other forms of fraud.